Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're in the middle of our legacy series. And uh, for us, this is amazing. This is a yearly focus for us as we take time not just to consider our future, but to actually do something about it. And this is an incredible time. We've said it this way. It's a future without you, but still influenced by you. And the fact that we have an opportunity not just to do amazing things while we're here, but to do them in a way that lives on beyond us is an incredible privilege, and we wouldn't be the pastors to you that we wanted to be if we didn't bring you an opportunity every year to see some things that are just bigger. It's a series that reminds us God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. Is there anybody here that's been blessed? We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing. It also reminds us that each of us can be a participant in a miracle. Maybe that's not your individual miracle, but we can participate in somebody's miracle, and we start living and giving in a way that's beyond us. The vision that God has given us for our region is larger than any of us could accomplish on our own. But how many of you know together we can do something amazing and God can use us in a powerful way? I call that the gap. The space that exists between this big vision and the resources and the relationships that it takes to pull that off. It's a gap. Now, how many of you know the goal of a healthy church is not to have more money in the bank than we have vision in our hearts? It should be the other way around. God should have given us a vision so big and so large, if it weren't for him stirring the hearts of his people, there's no way that it could come about. It's called the gap. And listen to me, church. Until there are no longer people addicted to drugs, until there are no longer women and children sold for their bodies, and until you and I no longer have loved ones that we know that are far away from God, how many of you realize there will be a gap bigger than the resources and the relationships that we have? But how many of you can appreciate we have a big, amazing God? We have a big, amazing God. And the things that we look at that we're trying to tackle that we feel like God's put on our heart are nothing in comparison to the greatness and the grandeur of God. And you want to see something amazing. Watch God use a little church like this to make a big impact in our world. We're going to do it. And just to remind you from Pastor Jacob's message last week, so good. If you did not hear it, go grab the podcast. You don't want to miss it. I want to recap some of these big vision goals that we're going to be doing collectively across all of our campuses. Um, We're going to be raising $100,000 to begin to address the drug epidemic that is sweeping across Acadiana. You may not realize this, but just in our church alone, over the last three months, we had nine different funerals from overdoses from men and women under the age of 40. Just in our church. I had the privilege of speaking with the chief of police in Opelousas just a couple nights ago, and he shared with me a funeral home in Opelousas on one Saturday not too long ago had four overdose funerals, just one funeral home in Opelousas. It's crazy. It's a problem, and we got to do something about it. We've been fortunate enough to partner with Adult and Teen Challenge, um, one of the best ones in the country. There are some all over. One of the best ones in the country is in Missouri, and Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And we have secured a way to get men from our area that are struggling and dealing with that type of, of addiction up to a place that can help them 
accomplish that. It's huge. Now, I don't know if you realize that Teen Challenge, Adult and Teen Challenge has a 76% cure rate. Some of the best rehab facilities in the country are less than 10% cure rate. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And the dollars that we raise are going to allow us not just to provide for them to get there, but to cover their way that's there. That $100,000 will help us reach the first 200 men that we're going to be able to send from our area, away from the bad influences, away from the things that got them stuck, somewhere else in a place where they can learn, be discipled, memorize scripture, and have God change them from the inside out. We get to be a part of that. It's incredible. Now, that program works so well that we have seen men changed completely and are finding callings of God, gifting of God. Men are being called into business and all of that. So here's the other part of what we're going to do. Not just getting them there, but while they're there, once they get born again, once God changes and delivers them, how many realize sometimes you need help getting back in to the area where you're from getting your feet up underneath you and all of that. These men who have a call of God on their life, these men who are called to business, we're going to be able to provide a ministry and discipleship home to get them back in to our area and our community, teaching them skills and habits and things that they're going to need to be successful. We're going to give $200,000 toward a home that's going to provide that type of second start for those men once they come back. You get to be a part of that. It's going to help address the gap that exists. Last week we had somebody say, don't forget about the women, Pastor John, don't forget about the women. Listen to me. 40 million people estimated stuck in trafficking across the globe. 40 million. The United States is the leading consumer of trafficked females and children in the world. U.S.? There's not one state that is immune from this problem, even in Louisiana. Men, I'm sorry, women and children are being sold, bought and sold for their bodies. And that's a problem. That's a problem. I'll never forget hearing uh, Tim Tebow share the first time he heard from his father. You may not realize this. Tim was the son of a missionary couple. They were overseas uh, in, in, in Central America, I believe, um, doing missionary work and he was raised in that environment and the day his father told him son today I bought four women out of slavery emptied his pockets to make sure they never had to live in an environment like that again it marked him and hearing that story should mark you because of the close relationship pastor Jacob has with Tim and uh, and Demi Tebow the Tebow foundation is leveraging all of their status all of their influence to do something about trafficking in a very unique way all across the country. And we have the privilege and the honor to be on the forefront of building a home for those women and for those children who come out of that to get help and get restored into what they need. It's going to be huge. One out of every seven trafficked individuals is a female. And look at this. One out of every four is a child. It's a gap. The vision to be a part of that is bigger than the resources we have, and we're going to be able to do that. We're giving $250,000 to the foundation that will be building this home for these women and these children. And here specifically, in New Iberia, 
I've got some amazing things to share with you that we're going to be doing and partnering with and investing into to address the gap that exists. How many of you want to know about it? We'll stay there long enough and I'll get to it. I'm thinking about legacy. A future without you that's still influenced by you. And I don't know about you, but I can't think about legacy without thinking about the end of my life. You ever been there? You ever thought about the end of your life? Have you ever wondered what your funeral is going to be like? I have. I've attended some very large funerals. And I've attended some small ones too. I've attended some very sad funerals. And I've attended funerals that were like a celebration across the board. I've attended the funerals of Christians. And I've attended the funerals of people who were not Christians. Have you wondered what your funeral is going to be like? I've attended funerals that seemed like the end. And then some that seemed just like the beginning. And it gets me thinking, I wonder what it would be like to attend your own funeral. It's common. We hear about it often. It it exists in television and movies. Some of you may know books um, or stories or plots that where, where individuals have attended their own funeral. And you know how it works. There's, you've got this, this character that shows up alive um, to his or her own funeral. Maybe they deliberately faked it that they had died, or maybe they were mistakenly declared dead. Um, this not quite dead character may either reveal himself or herself to be alive to the crowd and surprise everybody, or they may just sit in the back unnoticed what's going on. It, it happens. It's this, it's this thing you hear about. Sometimes they won't even know that they've been presumed dead until they show up and find out everybody thought they were dead. And it's this crazy thing. You've seen it. Movies, television, those kind of things. Back in 1876, Mark Twain wrote what I consider one of the great American novels of our time when he wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And in this story, Tom Sawyer, there's this kid named Huckleberry Finn. You may have heard about him. Him and his friend Joe Harper are hiding out on an island playing pirates. And they had such a great time, they decided to stay gone for so long, everybody thought that they were dead. They got wind of this and thought it was the coolest thing ever and decided to stay as long as they possibly could. Typical for for, for kiddos. And then they discovered that living on their own, out in the open, wasn't as comfortable as they liked and all the things that they were used to. So they decided to come back and got wind that they were having a funeral for them. And then, boom, they bust in to their own funerals. Can you imagine what that would be like if you had the opportunity to attend your own funeral. What would that be like? There's a 45-year-old man named Amir Vehobovic from Bosnia actually did this. True story. 2007, fakes his own death, orchestrates getting his own death certificate, and then invites people to his own funeral to attend so that he could see who's going to show up and appreciate me when I'm gone. True story. 2007, you can, go, you can go look it up. You know only his mother showed up for that thing? Only his mama showed up. Now, I hope if I die, more than just my mama would show up. But I think it's possible to live our lives in a way that maybe more than your mama would show up if you would, if, at, your own, at your own funeral. Isn't that crazy? Go through all that trouble. I think the article actually said he went and contacted the 45 or so people that he invited to his funeral and fussed at them for not coming to his funeral. Um, he was alive. I'll let you figure out how all that works. Thinking about my own funeral and attending my own funeral, here's some questions 
that come to mind? And I think these are natural questions. I think they're questions that people are going to naturally think about when they start thinking about their own funeral and the end of their life. Here's the first question that comes to mind. What will be said about me? What will people say? Will they say he was funny and good looking? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Will they say he was a great pastor? Yeah. Will they say he had a lot of kids? Yeah. Will they say he loved his wife more than anything else? Yes. All those things. What are people going to say about you at your funeral? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a logical question to ask ourselves. What will be said about me? What will be said about you at your funeral? Here's the second question that comes to mind. Who will be there to remember me? Am I going to have a large funeral? Will it be small? Will there be people that I know, people that I expect to be there? Will there be people I don't expect to be there? Will there be people that I don't even know there because of the impact and the reach that I had while I was here? It's a logical question. It's something that we ask ourselves. What will be said about me? Who will be there to remember me? And here's a third one. How will things be without me here? It's a logical question. Are my family still going to do some of the same things that we used to do when I was here? Or once I'm gone, will they find other traditions and other things to do? Will we still go on those kind of vacations when I'm not here? What about your work? Will the place continue to run without you? Probably not. But those are questions that we think about when we start. What is my legacy going to be as I start thinking about the end of life, as I start thinking about my funeral I actually see in Psalms 112, 5 through 6, a really interesting passage that kind of gives some some insight into this. Look at this, verse 5. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Legacy. Generous. Lend freely. Conduct their affairs with justice. Remembered forever. We could simply define legacy this way. Legacy is where my life lives on. Is it possible? Can we live in such a way that allows us to live beyond our own life? I think it's worth everybody thinking through and asking yourself this question. Is what I'm living and giving myself to going to live beyond me. Psalms 12 mentions two things about the righteous real quick that I want to share and how to live a legacy. The first one is this, giving to something that will outlive me. Giving to something that will outlive, that will outlive me. Whether it's your time, your abilities, or your resources, you should be using them to make a difference. God didn't just give you the things that he gave you so that you could have them and nobody else could be impacted by them. God gave us. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. And this is not just a message about your giving. It's a message about your living also. There was a billionaire who died and many were attending the funeral. They were talking about all the things that he accomplished and everything that he'd been able to amass for himself and and all this great empire, if you will, that he had accumulated. And at his funeral, somebody leaned over and whispered, I wonder what he left behind or I wonder how much he left behind person leaned over very wisely and said, all of it, all of it. And here's the reality, folks. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead of you. 
and I'm sitting in a room full of people who are very gifted, both physically, relationally, and even wealthy. And if you think the grand total of your life is going to be surmised in what you can do while you're here and nothing ever lives beyond you, I think you're missing something that God has for us through these moments. Here's the second thing I see. Not just giving in a way that lives beyond me, but living so that my life outlives me. I can live in a way that makes a difference beyond me. I only have a few years left on this earth, apparently, and I want to do as much as I can while I'm here, don't you? I don't know, Pastor Don. I just want to sit here and, and just die one day and act like nothing ever happened. Of course you don't. When I was young, I felt like I could do anything, anything, and I thought I had all the time in the world to do it. Now that I'm getting a little older, in the middle of my midlife, that crisis kind of looming on the horizon there a little bit, I'm starting to realize if I'm going to accomplish something great during my time here, I need to be very strategic and I need to be very intentional of what I invest my time and my talents and my treasures into. Because here's what I realize. The real legacy of life is not what you accomplish while you're here, but what gets accomplished in the future because you were here. And that gives me a great amount of hope because I can make decisions today that live on beyond me, and that could be amazing. I've said it this way. Where, where are your fingerprints? What has your fingerprints all over it? When you're gone, what things could somebody say? That is the way that it is because that person made that decision. This is the way it is because they decided to use something that God gave them to that. I think about my life and all my accomplishments, and I think about the things that are going to live beyond me. And Kayla and I have talked about this before, I think one of the greatest accomplishments I'm going to have during my lifetime will probably only be summarized in the second paragraph, one sentence in some Wikipedia article about one of my kids where it says, and they were the son or daughter of Don and Kayla Norman. And that'd be enough for me to know that I can live my life and give of my life in a way that my children coming behind me, my greatest legacy may be in the next generation that comes. It may not be just in what I'm able to do and what I could put my hands to. When I think of legacy, I don't just think about my life. I think about the lives of those who will live on after me. And as we prepare these weeks to talk about legacy and to ask God what he'd have us participate in, I'm excited to share with you one of the greatest things I think we can do to make an impact, not just in this church, but in all of New Iberia. Y'all ready to hear what I want to share with you guys? There's a gap. There's a gap that exists. It was 1985 when Pastor Pop Neal, Pastor Paul's father, sat here and thought, how can we create an environment where people can get a structured Christian curriculum in a way that is affordable so that as many people as possible can participate into it? And they started Assembly Christian School in the cafeteria right across the hall. Now, 40 years later, you want to talk about legacy? 40 years later, K-4, all the way through 12-year-old students are walking the halls of that school built right across the parking lot, continuing on that legacy that he started back then. It's incredible when you think about it. Matter of fact, here in this room, if you're on staff or faculty with our school across the street, I know several attended last service, I want to just take a minute and honor and acknowledge you. Are you, any, any of you guys here today? I think they must have all been on the other. Ah, oh, you didn't stand, Chris. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) 
A lot of times people think private Christian education, they think twelve, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year per a student. Can I tell you, across the parking lot, for fractions of that, we're giving individuals from K four all the way through twelve an incredible Christian education that's incredibly affordable. And that's one of the things that we're committed to continue to do. We may not pay teachers as much as we wish we could, but as many students as we possibly can are getting an opportunity in an education to do that. And though the school's been very successful on its own, it's never been in our heart just to keep it open. We wanted to make a difference. And we knew God wanted to use the best of OSC to bring about the best of our school and create a future that neither could accomplish without the other. Our church has this regional mindset to go and start and build local churches and reach the communities of our area, but we need the next generation. And our school right across the parking lot has students who are gifted and called by God but need a way to see how their gifts can make a difference in their lives and in their community. And so we've got the perfect combination, church. How can we make sure that every student comes through our school and has a chance to see that they can be used in their local church and ultimately in their community? That's the question. How do we do it? How do we just do more than exist? How do we just do more than provide a Christian education? How can we make sure that we have a school that can impact not just our church, but other churches in our community as well? So we did something. We did a thing. And to my knowledge and with my appreciation, there is no other Christian school that is doing what we've just started this year, and there's none other like it. Can I share with you what we started this year that's incredible, making a difference? We started a creative ministry arts program in the school that that, uh, focuses on helping students discover their God-given gifts and talents, then developing those talents to be able to see how they can serve the local church to make a difference in their community. Not just our church, any church. That'd be one thing to create an opportunity for people to come through our school and ultimately funnel in and it'd be all about us. But can I tell you, the gap that exists, the vision that we see is that we'd be a lead church in a community of a lot of great churches. And there are. I stand up here every week and tell you, there's a lot of great churches in our area. And if they're going to continue to be a lot of great churches in our area, they're going to need young people with a heart and a vision for ministry and the skills and the ability to pull it off across the board. And that's the heart why we started this program. Yes, it's going to help us have a future for this church, but it's also going to create an impact for other churches as well. We're focusing on four areas that every church needs. And I've got a graphic we can put up on the screen to show you. The first one is worship. We're going to teach these students through vocals and instruments. They're currently leading their own chapels. We're teaching them service production, how to do all the sound and the video and the lights that it takes to do modern service, church service today. Graphic design, they're learning how to do logos and promotions and illustrations on how to communicate the gospel creatively. And they're learning communication skills like songwriting, speaking, and sharing with others. It's incredible. This is arguably the most creative generation we have ever seen in our day. They are producing content at an alarming rate. Just look at TikTok, look at social media, look at Instagram and YouTube and all of that. Why would we not show them how they can use those creative gifts for the kingdom of God? Why would we not? Why would we not go out of our way to make sure they have the computers and the software and the resources and the class time 
to learn how to develop and hone those skills to make a difference. Why would we allow the world to teach them how to play music when we can teach them how to use those gifts to worship in and outside for the creative, for the, for the, for the glory of God? Absolutely. Can I show you just a fragment of what it looks like across the way when we do those very things? Watch this. know what it was going to look like when we started it. We just knew God gave us a vision and an opportunity to do it. And can I tell you, in just a few short months, what God has done and is doing through those students is no less than absolutely incredible. It has taken off like wildfire at the school. There are currently 200 students enrolled in our school. Can I tell you, 28 of them are receiving high school credit in those areas that we're talking about, doing those things that we're teaching them. There'll be 43 students in a Christmas musical I'm excited to bring you next month. And then in first through eighth grade, all of our first through eighth grade students are a part of an enrichment twice a week, helping them learn and grow and participate in those areas um, that you just saw. 14 students are on our chapel production team, making sure their fellow student peers can hear, learn, and see the word of God in a creative way. It's amazing. It's amazing to see what God is doing. Now, here's the crazy part. I told you, this wasn't just about our church. Can I tell you, there are eight local churches represented by the students you just saw on that screen that are learning those skills and the ability to go and make an impact in their local congregations all across the city of New Iberia. It's neat. God isn't just using them. He's reaching them and he's changing them. There's a pastor, local pastor here in town, has his children enrolled in the school. And as a result of what they're learning and being a part of this, they're actually fired up and excited to go to church on Sunday mornings. They went from dad, do we have to go to dad, can we please go? I tell you as a pastor, one of my greatest desires is that my children would learn to grow up and fall in love with the very thing I've given my hands to. And to think that I have a part, 
I can have a part, we can have a part in preparing something so another pastor, another church who's giving his life to serve our community can have his legacy of his children come up and have the skill set and the training to be able to fall right in line to do that. Y'all, that fires me up. It's incredible. I was told of a mama who has two children in the program. They've discovered they've got a passion for production And now she's trying to get her local church to let them in the sound booth so they can participate on a Sunday morning. That's amazing. It's amazing that we can have an impact just like that. This isn't just an internal thing. This is external. We're equipping generations and we have the opportunity to continue to equip generations that are going to affect churches all across our area for time and time to come. Isaac, come help me a little bit. I want to tell you the story of Logan. Logan is a young man who's attended our school his entire life. Now, he's not a Division I caliber athlete, and he's not an exceptionally academic individual. And the reality is most students aren't. Most students aren't. But he's discovered something through this program that's going to forever change his life. I'm going to share with you what he said. I think we have a picture of Logan we can put up on the screen. These are his words. I'm just reading them. I've been a student at ACS since pre-K-3, and I'm now a senior. Before ministry arts were offered, my only idea of life after school was to be an electrician. I really was not into drawing or singing, and I've never been creative in that aspect, but media arts has helped me find my niche. I've been in church all of my life, and even recently, I've been furthering my walk with God. I was just baptized last week at my local church. I've inquired about serving in my church in production, mainly lights, And with the tools that I have learned from ACS and the media arts class and serving in chapels, I'm now planning on this being a part of my adult life. The ministry arts program has been a true blessing. And in my opinion, it is the best thing we have ever done at ACS. I found something that I'm truly passionate about. And I know that there are many younger students below me that will be blessed by this as they get older and stay a part of ACS. I'm excited to know that I can have an active part in my local church because of what I've learned. I'm hopeful that I can have a graphics business and help the church communicate the gospel through media arts. Thank you for giving us this program. Wow. Who knew? Who knew that just listening to what God puts on your heart and then doing something about it would make such a lasting difference and a lasting impact. The stories are numerous. I want to share with you one more. Bailey was in our our first service earlier, and Bailey's been in our school since pre-K. And uh, Bailey's mom is incarcerated. Her dad has not been a part of her life, and her grandmother has been raising her. Super grateful that we can provide a Christian education in an area that needs, where grandmoms need help to send their grandbabies to Christian school. That was Bailey's story. She was able to be here and be a part. Been difficult for Bailey, as you can imagine, with an upbringing like that. Last year, she failed a random drug test and was facing expulsion from our school. Monique, our principal, met with her and said, if you'll continue to meet with me every week, I'll disciple you and I'll help you. And if you'll do it, you can stay in our school. How many of you are grateful for a principal? 
It'll reach out. So she did, every single week. And this year we started this creative arts program and somebody stumbled upon an opportunity to put a microphone in Bailey's hand. And can I tell you guys, that girl can sing. She can sing. I got a video from the team that sent me a video from their chapel practice. I said, who is that? Who would have known? Who knew that inside that little girl with such trouble was a gift that God was wanting to use? Man, what a gift. I've got a picture of Bailey I want to show you. And these are her words, if I can get through them. The new ministry arts program has given me a hope for my life that I didn't have before. I found purpose and giftings that I didn't know existed before. Going through this process, I have learned that letting the people around you influence your relationship with God is not okay. Why sit there and pity for yourself when you're letting it happen? I think there's a preacher in there too, by the way. Being in choir has shown me that God can speak to you in many other ways besides prayer or the Bible. He can send people to help lead you. In my life, he has sent many strong women figures to be like a mother to me, and one of them is Miss Joy Broussard. She has shown me a different love for music and has helped me find my voice to lead others to God. The choir class is like a second family to me. It is my safe place to let go and be me. Church, we got a gap. We got a big vision to help a lot of students discover things like Logan and Bailey, the things that are inside of their hearts that God put there for his purpose and his timing to come about and be developed and then pointed, steered, just aim it into the direction that God wants him to go. And the vision is so much larger than the $90,000 we're going to need to raise, to hire staff, buy computers, outfit software, buy instruments, continue to rearrange classrooms and make things work so that every child over there with a gift of God inside of them has an opportunity to see how it can work after school for the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to be a part of that church. Listen to me. I do not want you to be compelled. These are amazing stories. I don't want you to be compelled. I want you to obey. And I want you to pray. Many of you have taken this this card that we talked about. And you did what I asked you to do. You put it on your refrigerator. You put it on your nightstand. And you've been asking God, God, what will you have me do? What will you have me do to be a part of? of this. I want to thank you for praying and I want to thank you for asking God what you should do. That's all I want is that you would just ask God and say, God, what could I do that would allow me to give beyond myself? What can I do to live beyond myself? Next week, all of us are going to grab these cards across all of our campuses and I'm going to ask you to bring your greatest gift and your greatest need And collectively, together, we're going to have a moment in service where we give all of these and trust and believe God to do what only he can do. From the drug addicted to those who were sold for trafficking 
all the way through those who are equipped and called to ministry and put into the kingdom and for the students across the parking lot who are going to make a difference in this community for generations to come. I'm very concerned about the drug addicted. I'm very concerned about the trafficked. But I'm also very concerned for you. I only told you part of the truth earlier. This talk of legacy hasn't just got me thinking about myself and my future and my eternity. It's got me thinking about you. I prayed for you this morning. All of you that God would bring here today to hear this message, to be a part of this, knowing that he wanted to speak something to you. And all this talk about these amazing things that we're going to go out and do collectively, if I didn't give you an opportunity to think about your own eternity, if I didn't give you an opportunity to know that you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, if you died when you left here, if Jesus would be the first face you'd see. We spoke earlier about our funerals and the questions that we may have at the end of our lives. Remember those questions? What will be said of me? Who will be there to remember me? How will things be without me here? Those are logical questions, but can I tell you, those aren't the questions that are going to be asked. Here's the reality of the end of life. The big question isn't, what will be said about me? The big question is, what will I say about me? Romans 14 tells us this way, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. What will I say about me? It's called the great white throne judgment and we're all gonna participate. We read about it in Revelation 20, verse 11 through 12. I saw a great white throne with someone sitting on it. Earth and heaven tried to run away, but there was no place for them to go. I also saw all the dead people standing in front of that throne. Every one of them was there, no matter who they had once been. Several books were opened, and then the book of life was opened. The dead were judged by what those books said they had done. In verse, four, verse 15, anyone whose name wasn't written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What will you say that day? Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, he says it this way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What will you say? Can I tell you in that moment at that time when we stand before that great throne, there's only one acceptable answer. And it's not what you did. And it's not telling about how much you gave, though you'll probably do both. It's not even about what kind of person you are or were or were trying to be. The only acceptable answer in that moment, standing before God at the end of our lives, facing a decision to spend eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. The only acceptable answer is this. I knew Jesus personally. 
I knew him personally. And so I want to ask you, we're talking about legacy. We're talking about a future without you, still influenced by you. And we're going to do a lot of great things. But do you know him personally? The only way to know him personally is to know him as Lord. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Because I want to ask a question. Do you know him? The only way to know him personally is to know him as Lord and Savior. Pastor John, how do I do that? How do I know him as my Lord and Savior? I would say it is as simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. That through your own choices and your own decisions, you have separated yourself from a righteous, loving, and holy God. That you have created for yourself an obstacle that cannot be overcome, a debt you cannot pay. And a part of some great intervention by God himself, you will spend eternity away from him in hell, the only place where he is not, of your own choosing. It's B, believing that God in his mercy so loved you that he sent his only son, Jesus, who lived a sinless, perfect life, yet died the death that you should have died to pay the price that you couldn't pay so you could be restored in relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ paid that price for you. And then see, confess him as Lord. Not Jesus, the great guy. Not Jesus, the wise prophet. Not Jesus, the one I read or hear about on television. Jesus, the one who saved my life. His way is better. He is Lord. It is literally getting out of the driver's seat of your life and into the passenger seat and letting Jesus take over, doing it his way. And if you're here today and you can admit that you're a sinner, that you've been separated from God, if you can believe in your heart, you can't fake belief. If you can believe in your heart that God sent Jesus just for you, and if you can confess with your mouth that he is Lord and Savior, The Bible says it this way, you've been born again. And I want to pray with you, and I want to ask you, Pastor Pastor Don, will you pray with me? I want to be born again. I want to know that I can stand before God on that day and say, I knew Jesus personally. And if that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat or come forward, though I think if this is real, you would do all three of those things. But right there from the comfort of your own seat, If you're there and you say, Pastor Don, I don't want to miss an opportunity. God orchestrated every detail to bring me here in this moment. Will you pray with me to be born again? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now so I can see. I'm the only one looking. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I don't want to miss an opportunity to pray with you. Church family, we're going to pray with those that have raised their hand. If you raise your hand, I want you to repeat these words after me, and we're going to pray with you together, symbolic of the fact that nobody lives Christianity alone. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. 
The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who raise their hand?